This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We were honored a few weeks back to speak with Tony Wheeler, the founder of Lonely Planet. During our chat, he had a few kind words to say about travel agents. We like to consider ourselves great advocates for travel, and for that reason, we're going to bring back uh, our favorite travel agent later in the program to talk about some things that may be of use to you, the potential world traveler. And before we get too far in today's program, I'd like to plug uh, Russ Baker, who's been on the show several times, his website, whowhatwhy.org is worth a look in general, and in this case, worth a look in particular because of the uh, plug that's on there for a video documentary series titled The Century of Self. It has to do with the application of psychology into public relations and advertising. We've talked about this in the program before, particularly as regards the nephew of Sigmund Freud, one Edward Bernays. Mr. Mavillon already checked out uh, the first of the hour documentaries and was impressed. So you may want to take a look, dear listener. Let us start today's program as we like to start every program with On This Date in History. Our date today is the 14th of May. And it was on May 14th in 1796 that Edward Jenner, an English country doctor from Gloucestershire, administered the world's first vaccination as a preventative treatment for smallpox a disease that had killed millions of people over the centuries. On this date, Jenner took fluid from a cowpox blister and scratched it into the hand of James Phipps, an eight-year-old boy, who soon recovered. On July 1st, Jenner inoculated the boy again, this time with smallpox. No disease developed. While that was a revolutionary and happy ending, I can guarantee you you'd have trouble getting that one past the ethics committee today. As it turned out, doctors all over Europe soon adopted Jenner's innovative techniques, leading to a drastic decline in sufferers of this devastating disease. As it turns out, Jenner's vaccine and those that followed actually wound up eliminating smallpox from the face of the earth. The only disease medicine has succeeded in eliminating so far. And we stress, that was due to vaccinations. On May 14th in 1897 in Philadelphia, John Philip Sousa's stirring march, The Stars and Stripes Forever, was played for the first time in public. U.S. President William McKinley attended the event to commemorate the unveiling of a statue of George Washington. As we've said before, if it were up to Radio Parallax, The Stars and Stripes Forever would be America's national anthem. Alas, no one has granted us the power to make it so. On May 14th in 1948 in Tel Aviv, Jewish agency chairman David Ben-Gurion proclaimed the state of Israel. The new nation, which established the first Jewish state in 2,000 years, ended British colonial rule of Palestine. And yes, no matter what you may have heard before that, it was known as Palestine. And although, in general, the British tended to be fairly good colonial powers as such things go... Their division of India into India and Pakistan, as well as the division of Palestine into Israel and Palestine, well, neither went so well. So if in the future you have the need for something to get divided, uh, my suggestion is that you not ask the British to do it. 
And I would add that it's Radio Parallax's opinion that the division in both cases probably should not have been performed at all. But of course, that opinion, like all those heard on this program, does in no way necessarily represent that of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. And finally, on May 14th in 1990, Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev declared that the republics of Estonia and Latvia had no legal basis for moving toward independence. Nevertheless, Estonia and Latvia, as well as Lithuania, followed by a dozen other Soviet socialist republics, did break off from the USSR not long afterwards. Although we should note that Vladimir Putin and the current Russian government is making noise about uh, the Russian minorities in Estonia. The population there is about equally divided between Russians and Estonians, and they're sort of entertaining the notion of pulling a Ukraine. We'll continue to watch that. Oh, and there's something else we should cite early in the program. That is the fact that Melinda Welsh has won a first place award from the California Publishers Association for her piece on Gary Webb. That article from the News and Review, titled Return of the Messenger, How Jeremy Renner's New Film Killed the Messenger, will vindicate Sacramento investigative journalist Gary Webb. If you haven't read it, dear listener, we advise you to do so. Melinda Welch does some good work over there at the SNNR, and we congratulate her. Our quote of the day comes from Mark Twain, who said, 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did do. We think that's accurate information. And by the way, we want to thank former KDVS host Franz Kassing for reminding us that scholars at Berkeley have uncovered and authenticated a cache of stories written by Mark Twain when he was a 29-year-old newspaper man living in the city. We are keen to check that out and hope you are too. Our quip of the day, and I know we've used it before, but I just can't resist, comes from the legendary columnist and American comedian and actor Robert Benchley, who once said, There are two kinds of people in the world. Those who divide the world into two kinds of people and those who don't. All right, our joke of the day, or in this case, jokes of the day, comes from the body of work left by David Letterman. In this case, some of his top 10 list selections. We're going to excerpt. I do want to note that this is a real tragedy that we're going to lose David Letterman. This correspondent is trying to watch everyone until he disappears. Perhaps like me, you were amused to see Cher come on the program last week. And confess that, well, you know, Dave, when I was in the show many years ago, I, I did call you an a-hole. Which point she added, upon hugging him, that, you know, but I'm going to miss you. Of course, she had to add after that, but you're still an a-hole. All right, let's grab a random selection of David Letterman top ten lists here and pull a few off each one. Starting with top ten tip-offs, you've chosen a bad bank. I like number nine. After you get a free toaster, bank president shows up at your house begging for toast. And number seven, they also offer body piercing. And number three, among top ten tip-offs you've chosen the bad bank, you notice chickens roosting in the vault. How about a few from top ten ways to make World Cup soccer more exciting? We like number ten, blindfolds and stilts. And number nine, give one guy on each team one of them James Bond jetpacks. And number four, eliminate game itself. Let hooligans battle it out on the field. And finally, from the top 10 reasons America is the greatest country on earth, I only pick one, but it's pretty good. America is the greatest country on earth because visitors from other planets often choose our drunken yokels to take for rides in their UFOs.
Our anecdote for today's program is as follows. A Florida man is apparently suing a local hospital after his amputated leg was thrown into the garbage with his name tag still on it. Yes, evidently John Timiriasiev, age 56, who had his right leg removed below the knee, became aware of the careless disposal when it was found in a dump and the police contacted family members to investigate the possibility that he had been murdered. Mr. Timiriasiev called the decision to throw the leg into the garbage unbelievable. The hospital said it had taken steps to keep comparable circumstances from happening again. All right, for our stats of the day, well, we have three of them. First off, China has now surpassed Mexico as the largest source of new U.S. immigrants. China was the country of origin for 147,000 immigrants in 2013, compared with Mexico's 125,000, according to a new U.S. Census Bureau study. Stat number two, in a global survey of 9,700 adults by consulting firm EY, 46% of the managers around the world reported logging more than 40 hours a week, and 40% said their hours have increased over the past five years. Here in the U.S., 58% of managers reported working longer than nine to five each day. Of course, based on my experience with managers in places I've worked, I'm not sure you can really call that working, but we'll let that one go. Third stat, And my favorite is that the world's 25 highest hedge fund managers earned a combined $11.5 billion last year. That's about a half bill a pop. This, despite the fact that the industry averaged a mere 3% return, less than the S&P 500 index. Yes, meaning that these guys that earn a half billion dollars for their supposed brilliant strategies did considerably less well than you or I would do, dear listener, if we went down to Charles Schwab and bought an index fund and then just sat back and watched the market do what it does. Pretty lame. All right, for our good news of the week, we have an awesome time-lapse sequence of a Martian sunset that was created by piecing together images from NASA's Mars rover, the Curiosity. The Curiosity rover, which is perched inside of the Gale crater, snapped several photos of the sun going down, and it does make an interesting sequence. Uh, Curiously, unlike Earth sunsets, which are red, the sunsets on Mars are blue, which I think is even weirder based on the fact that on Earth, our skies are blue, and on Mars, the skies are red. We will leave it up to someone else to explain the physics of this. But I do want to note with some degree of satisfaction that upon observing this sequence of the sun going down behind the hills of Mars, I noticed that it came down almost 90 degrees to the horizon with a slight right-to-left cant to it, about 5 degrees. This led, me to the con- this led me to conclude that the Gale crater on Mars must be about 5 degrees below the Martian equator. So I looked it up. It's 4.5 degrees. And perhaps, dear listener, you never pondered this question. But the angle that the sun makes upon setting with the horizon depends on your latitude. Here in California, the sun follows a path of upper left to lower right. Does that every time. When our good friend Pamela Taylor of the Cairns Astronomy Club observes the sunsets down in Australia, however, it goes from upper right to lower left. Something which can leave an observer a little bit disoriented. Anyway, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for 
the rich and famous with the news that Uber has announced plans to add helicopter service during the upcoming Cannes Film Festival. Evidently, well-heeled visitors will be able to avoid the notorious traffic jams while being ferried between hotspots for about $180. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for easy money, with the news that a Florida man was arrested for trying to cash a check for $368 billion. Apparently, a man named Jeff Waters said he bought the check for $100 from a man named Tito. Waters told police, blame Tito. I'm as innocent as a schoolgirl. And it was an ugly week last week for the American invasion of Texas. With the news that bemused Pentagon officials had to deny last week that they were actually planning to invade Texas a day after Governor Greg Abbott ordered state guard forces to monitor members of the U.S. military during an upcoming training exercise in his state. That exercise, known as Jade Helm 15, had sparked wild conspiracy theories that U.S. special ops were planning to seize parts of the Southwest and impose martial law. Evidently, in Bastrop County, Texas, more than 150 residents crammed into a community meeting to air their fears that soldiers would try to confiscate their guns. Governor Abbott, or should I say idiot Governor Abbott, then reassured his Texas constituents that guard forces would protect their safety, constitutional rights, private property rights, and civil liberties. Now let's quote from Matt Taibbi about the current political horse race going on in America. Writing about Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, Taibbi said, Deride him if you like, but Sanders is the rarest of Washington animals, a completely honest person. His political power is derived almost entirely from the citizens of Vermont, where he is personally known to a surprisingly enormous number of voters. Because the corporate and financial interests backing his Democratic and Republican rivals aren't writing checks to Sanders' campaign, the media does not consider him, quote, a serious candidate, unquote. When a politician can't be taken seriously unless the super-rich approve of him, we should at least admit how much trouble we're in. And writing about Hillary Clinton's effort to go to Iowa and supposedly listen to the populace, Taibbi in Rolling Stone said, Of course it's a pose. Would CEOs and hedge fund managers be showering Clinton with donations if they thought for a second she was serious about closing their tax loopholes and redistricting their income? Clinton's anti-elitist rhetoric is purely strategic. Once in office, her fellow plutocrats know she'll revert back to being the shamelessly bought-off creature of billionaire interests. You know, Matt Taibbi's a pretty good writer, but I wish he wouldn't, you know, pull his punches so much. Come on, Matt, say what you think. And apparently the Greek government made its payment that it had to make a couple days back, but I had to laugh at uh, how The Economist calls it as it sees it. We mentioned in this program previously the sorry state of the Greek economy. The Charlemagne column noted that two weeks ago after a particularly disastrous meeting, Yanis Varoufakis, Greek's finance minister, declared that he welcomed the hatred directed against him in the Eurozone. After more than three months of fruitless negotiations with Mr. Varoufakis, the reserves of Philhellenism among Greek's partners have run utterly dry. Said one Brussels official, they are living in a cloud cuckoo land to which the Charlemagne columnist added insult to injury by piling on with, perhaps it was naive to expect anything else. A few years ago, many of the men now in charge spent their time discussing the contradictions of capitalism over coffee and cigarettes. Few would ever run anything, let alone a government. We have to admit, it doesn't seem like they know what the hell they're doing over in Greece. And we're intrigued by another piece in The Economist about uh, Bolivia. 
Although Bolivia is often described as South America's poorest country, I believe it is probably this correspondent's favorite among South American nations. The Economist notes that Bolivia actually does have a navy, but its navy has to be confined to patrolling lakes and rivers because it has no coast. It did have a coast at one time, but it lost it to Chile. The Bolivians have not forgotten this and are still making applications to international agencies to see if they can't get some coastline back. Apparently on May 4th, Bolivia's quest entered a new phase when the International Court of Justice in The Hague began hearings on its demand for Chile to grant it sovereign access to the sea, i.e. territory that would be connected to the Pacific Ocean. I find this to be worth a slight digression to explain Bolivia's predicament. In what used to be Bolivia's coastal regions, nitrates were found. Before the invention of the Haber-Bosch process, if you wanted to make war and have explosives, you needed nitrates from this area of the world. But evidently, back in 1879, angered by an increase in Bolivian tax on nitrate miners, Chile invaded the port of Antofagasta. By the end of a four-year war, it had also defeated Peru, which had allied with Bolivia and annexed its departments of Arica and Tacna. In all, Bolivia lost 250 miles of coastline and 120,000 square kilometers of territory. Now, this land is probably not going to go back to Bolivia. Much of Chile's hoard of copper, which is its main export, lies under what used to be Bolivian soil. But the Chileans have tried to keep the Bolivians happy up to a point. Bolivia has its own customs officials and storage in Arica and Antofagasta. And the two countries' citizens can cross borders without passports. This correspondent was fortunate enough to visit that part of the world back in 1994. And yes, one night we traipsed across the Bolivian-Chilean border to spend the night in Chile before simply driving back across the border into Bolivia and no one seemed to notice. Anyway, it's a peculiar situation that's been going on for a century and a half down there and Radio Parallax will make every effort to continue to monitor developments. All right, and finally we have an item that uh, it seems like it might have been written from Scientology International Headquarters, but in fact it comes from the New York Times. Noted the Times, the American Psychological Association secretly collaborated with the administration of President George W. Bush to bolster a legal and ethical justification for the torture of prisoners swept up in the post-September 11th War on Terror, according to a new report by a group of dissident health professionals and human rights activists. The report contends, using newly disclosed emails of the group's actions to keep psychologists involved in the interrogation program, coincided closely with efforts by senior Bush administration officials to salvage the program after the public disclosure in 2004 of graphic photos of prisoner abuse by U.S. military personnel at Abu Ghraib prison. It should be noted that the three lead authors of the report are longtime and outspoken critics of the American Psychological Association. There's another story we're going to follow, and boy, this really does need to get looked at. All right, we really can't end on a downer like that, so let's instead go to the special Newsweek edition of The Science of Sex and pull a few items out of this, which we will probably do for the next few weeks. All right, let's pull some random stats out of the magazine, starting with the fact that research at the Indiana University School of Medicine has shown that women's libidos drop significantly when they're in a long-term relationship, while men's do not. Study authors Dr. Aaron Carroll and Dr. Rachel Vreeman added rather peculiarly, that that doesn't necessarily make monogamy easier for women. 
saying, quote, the women are losing their desire to initiate sex or to have sex with their partners, which does not reflect sexual health, unquote, to which this correspondent has to add, wait a minute, someone having no desire to initiate sex or to have sex does not reflect your sexual health? Hmm. And how about this one? A study in a journal called Cyber Psychology, Behavior, and Social Networking suggests using social networking sites leads to reconnections with old flames, which leads to more affairs, more breakups, and more divorces. And this stat, the majority of adult men under 60 think about sex at least once a day. Reportedly, only a quarter of women say they think about it that frequently. And the final dissonant stat for the day is that men, on average, take four minutes from the point of entry to reach climax. Women usually take around 10 to 11 minutes to reach climax if they get there at all. Which causes us to advise men out there, gentlemen, take your time. This isn't a race. All right, we need to take a short break. Let's do so. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. Parallax.